Welcome to MoneyMD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Zach, I hope you and your family had a uh, happy Halloween. We did. Yeah. yeah. You dress up? We did. Yeah, we dressed up. We like to do themes every year. Last okay. year, we were a taco dinner. <laughs> and uh, this year we we dress as superheroes nice. because my kids got into Spider-Man recently. So Excellent. they they both were different versions of Spider-Man in the in the Spider-Verse they call it. Yeah. All and right. then um That's my cool. wife my wife dressed up as uh Wonder Woman. Okay. I was the Flash. Oh, no, not Superman. Well, my babies were Superman and Superwoman. Oh, okay. Twins. Right. You so, couldn't take that. Yeah. So we had we had fun. We had a good Excellent. superhero themed Halloween. And you had a good good haul of candy. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. That's that's uh, All right. that's my interest is how well they do with candy the kids. So, yeah, yeah. Fine. How about how about yourself? No, no, no dressing up uh, for us. So um, yeah, kind of kind of kind of quiet. You know, living yeah. out in the country, if someone comes up to trick or treat <laughs> at our house, and it's questionable because we don't have any neighbors. So. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so we do have to worry, wonder about that. And uh, how about the Braves? I'm a I'm a big uh, Atlanta Braves fan. Grew up in this area and watched them last night. I went to bed in probably the sixth inning and i couldn't sleep because i was so excited. excited so i got back up and i watched them win it um around midnight so yeah. um but what a great uh great year they had yeah yeah we you know i stood up on um sunday night to watch game five, five right and uh you know when they were ahead um i was i was pulling for them then they were down yeah and then last night you know staying up when you have four little kids staying up really late is uh is always a sacrifice you have to be like what should i do this or not <laughs> so i chose not to last night yeah, yeah. And, I, and i missed it so i was bummed but i was excited this morning looking yeah. at the score and seeing yeah that's that's huge it's exciting to see so many people uh, excited in this area yeah it's, Braves, it is so. it's been since 1995 since they won it yeah. so um <clears throat> they uh they had a great year it was fun watching them and uh, my parents are big Braves fans as well. They watch every single game, so we were excited Very for them. So, but we have a great show lined up today. We have a really good topic to start off talking about uh, health insurance. It's one of the questions we get with pretty much every discussion with with clients uh, about how to pay for health insurance. And if you're lucky that you're in a group plan with a company, it's a little bit more reasonable. But if not, I mean, there's a, a lot of uh, folks that, that don't have company insurance. It's so expensive. And so this goes into uh, the details of why it's so expensive now. And it's a good discussion. Um, you know, it doesn't help with the, the cost necessarily. We'll give you some tips at the end of it. Uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about health insurance. And we also have a good topic that you're going to cover. Yeah, the, the topic I'll talk about is uh, retirement plan and not getting too hung up on a number. Some people can just focus on getting to a number. And we're going to discuss on why that might not be the, the best idea. Yeah. Just focus on number, but think about more comprehensive picture as a whole. So it's a really good article, yeah. good read, and I'm excited to dive into it. Yeah, yeah. Number is is something people do focus on, and um, it is a piece of the equation, piece of the puzzle, but uh, shouldn't get too hung up on it. So right. looking forward to that. Yep. Uh, by the way, I'm John Travis. I'm a, a, a Dave Ramsey certified counselor. I have an MBA in finance and uh, been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 29 years. And I'm Zach Albanese, a financial advisor and and been here at Richard Young Associates for almost a year now and excited right. to, to Guys, serve. been that long. Yeah, serve the Man. clients here and, and work with uh, these great people. So Time flies. I know. Time flies. Well, we're going to start off today with the uh, financial fact of the week. All right. So the financial fact of the week um, has to talk, talk about retiring. And so from the beginning of the pandemic, which I guess looking at 
the beginning being March 2020 mm-hmm. through June of this year, an estimated 3 million Americans uh, retired earlier than U.S. historical trends would have forecasted. These retirees were mostly older workers. Some may be concerned about the risk of getting infected while while working. Others attributed the surging um, uh, retirement to the stock market and um, the surging prices of homes going up because of all these portfolios mm-hmm. increasing. And, and uh, so just a very interesting time to be alive and, it is. and seeing people retire so so the, early yeah. yeah the impact to people and and it you know from a from a planning standpoint the statistics that we see that we've talked about historically is you know if you're planning on retiring at 67 um, that may be dangerous. There are other factors that always come into play. I mean, the pandemic was one of them sure. that changed a lot of people's retirement situations. Uh, you can get laid off. You can have health issues. And so right. when we do planning, we always like to try to pull that date in to, to 65 or 62 um, to give you options. And if you want to retire or you're forced to retire at 62, you've planned on it mm-hmm. versus you know having to, to plan on waiting until 67. So pandemic was certainly unusual. We've seen a lot of people that have retired early because of it, um, just the craziness, and, and um, they had planned well, so they were able to do that. So right. that's an interesting fact of the week, and we're going to switch gears a little bit and start talking about the health insurance, and why is it? Why is it so expensive in the U.S.? And this is an article out of the Ramsey Solutions Organization, really uh, good conversation, good topic. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it quite um, gone into detail like this. I thought this would be interesting to uh, you know to cover. And certainly, um, Zach, when we go into the emergency room, I mean, that that's never fun. It's never a good reason, typically. Uh, but the bill, when we get the bill, that's the worst part, typically. Worst. Yeah. Um, and so if you've ever looked at an ER bill and you've seen a $30 charge for aspirin, um, or maybe you've seen, you know, the stitches that your son needed for the, the, the um, you know, the cost associated with it has quadrupled uh, over the last couple of years. And it's shocking when you think about how expensive the healthcare process has become. And, and it makes you wonder, why is this so expensive? And and so we see prices that are rising annually. Um, <clears throat> I have uh, been, I've been getting insurance on my own for nine years now, and every single year every it goes year. up by a minimum of 20%. I mean, yeah. every single year goes up by 20%. And it really is enough by, you know, for a budget-minded consumer just to throw up their hands and, and ditch it completely. And, and we recommend, highly recommend you don't ditch healthcare. You got to have some coverage out there. It really is a non-negotiable part of your safety net. And and trying to go, you know, through life without it is uh, setting yourself up for potential disaster. You know, it could deplete your emergency fund, certainly. Um, but it also, a lot of people go into bankruptcy because of it, yeah. because it is so expensive. Yeah. And, there, you know, there's a myriad of reasons uh, why health insurance is expensive and can be confusing if all you're hearing are the different perspectives on the news and reading articles online. And we, we want to avoid that here. What we want to do is we want to talk about um, the, the basic factors, what we can look at to get a general picture of what's going on with spiraling health insurance costs. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to look at some of the main ones and some ways that you can handle them. Yeah. And so the first one is um, uh, the Affordable Care Act of, of 2010. And so this is not a political discussion on this. This is just um, just conversation, some stuff that Ramsey uh, found. And it, it's I think it's very accurate. But mm-hmm. back in 2010, this, this law was signed in into uh, existence, and it's known as the Affordable Care Act, ACA for short. And it took a couple of years to phase everything in, um, but by 2014, most of the main parts of the law were in force. And so the purpose of the new law was to help as many people 
as possible to have access to health insurance. And many times it was for the first time in their lives. And so the results of the law have been mixed and uh, they're still hotly debated. But, you know, there are some positives out of it. Millions of people uh, were newly covered for health insurance. So mm. that's a good thing. People having right. access to health insurance. Um, that much is clear since the law basically required every health insurance company in America to accept anyone as a customer, regardless of their pre-existing conditions. But this is where the math kicks in and it blurs the picture just a little bit. Traditionally, health insurance premiums were lower for customers who were young and healthy, but higher for those with mm. pre-existing conditions, which makes sense in terms of, you know, higher costs to cover someone who uses a lot of health care. But when the ACA became law, it stopped insurance companies from charging higher premiums to customers with pre-existing conditions. And so companies were now required to offer the same premiums to a person with a history of cancer or heart attacks as they were to, to someone that was in perfect health. So basically had a whole bunch of people coming into the system, knew that's a good thing. And then some of them had some health issues, which is increasing the cost. Right. And at that point, two big changes hit insurance companies at once. And and this is where, you know, things get got dicey for the prices. First, they had to accept absolutely anyone who applied to them for health insurance, which massively drives up the price and the number of people eligible for their service um, in their networks. And like you said, they had to charge everyone in a uniform way, regardless of how much cost uh, any person or group represented for the companies. So this had an immediate outcome that was really a pain for all parties involved. Insurance companies had to pay out way more per person covered. So companies had two options. Do we go out of business completely or do we raise their prices? So when you look at it that way, it's not really shocking that no. we saw such a huge increase across the board in health insurance premiums. Yeah, I mean, they are a far profit, right? right I mean, they exactly. have to make a profit like other companies out there, so they had to increase the cost. So the, the ACA is a is a piece of the puzzle, but there's other things. Uh, administrative costs. This is this was interesting. Um, you know, the, the uh, U.S. healthcare costs are, are, are much higher because of the administration cost. Overall, the healthcare spends hundreds of billions of dollars annually on this expense alone, and you're probably better, um, and you'd better believe that those costs have an impact on insurance premiums. I mean, the the estimates of the administrative cost are anywhere between 15 and 30% of overall wow. healthcare spending. I mean, that's yeah. that's a lot that's of waste. I mean, yeah, yeah it's, it's significant as stuff like medical billing, hospital administration, scheduling patient appointments, insurance management, and uh, most hospitals have more billing specialists on staff than they have beds. <laughs> For patients, that's that was a little surprising. That's that, yeah. And uh, the structure of healthcare and how it's provided in the U.S. is more complex than what's found in other countries. I mean, all levels of government, from local up to federal, offer some form of healthcare coverage to employees. And uh, then there are private insurance companies and, and employers who cover all all are part of their health insurance. So it's it's very complex. And fifteen to thirty percent—that's a very large number. Oh, yeah. If we could get down that down to five to ten percent, uh, it would certainly help. Yeah, I absolutely think there can be some more efficiency there to to cut healthcare costs for uh, Americans. But uh, another culprit we have is the uh, ever increasing health insurance cost in prescription drug prices. And so, thankfully, though, there's been recent changes in the pharmaceutical industry that have helped to slow the rise in these prices, but they're still going up, including nearly 3% spike um, during 2020 for 260 commonly used medications. And if you stretch the question back even a few years more, the price of many of those commonly used drugs spiked even more dramatically. Some of them even went up 40% between the years of 2015 That's a lot. and 2020. And so one quick way to help contain these costs for yourself and something that 
that we recommend is looking at generic medications, mm-hmm. not just going what uh, for what the name brand medications are, but the generic ones, which are pretty much the same exact thing yeah. as the name brand medications. So that's that's yeah. a recommendation to help keep the cost down um, on your, your yeah. healthcare costs. So ask your doctor or, or pharmacist if they can uh, switch something out. That yeah. certainly would help. Yep. Uh, the last item here on the list um, that has increased the cost is, is lifestyle. And you know your, your grandmother probably told you an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And you know, that proverb has has never seemed truer than it does today. Although we we all have health issues, not all diseases or injuries are a result of you know congenital conditions or, or random bad luck. I right. mean, some of the health problems arise out of lifestyle, and that can play a huge role in making healthcare costs more expensive everywhere. So painful as it might uh, be to consider, poor diet, lack of exercise contribute in a big way to uh, some of the costliest health problems, diabetes, heart disease. I mean, some things are hereditary, but mm-hmm. there are some things that we can do um, to, to you know, pursue our, a healthier lifestyle. So a couple of things, um, you know, takeaways on this. Uh, we have people all the time asking how can I reduce my health care costs? And you mentioned one on prescription drugs. You can get a HSA, high deductible mm-hmm. uh, plan, and uh, put some money into an HSA plan, which will help you on a ta- from a tax standpoint. Um, you can also look at MediShare, Christian Health Network, or also yep. some other options uh, out there. Um, the uh, Affordable Care Act for certain people, if you have a, um, a certain income level, can be very reasonable as well, a couple hundred bucks a month. Yeah. So not an easy answer, but I will say um, figuring out that solution before you go into retirement is critical. You can't retire without having health care. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of options today that were different from previous years. And I think going forward, this will be this is a very interesting field to follow in the next five to 10 years, yes. how the landscape of healthcare costs changes in this country. Because I think there's a lot of creative ideas that I've seen. Uh, you, you mentioned MediShare. There's some other ones that I saw cropped up. And so it'll be interesting to see where the market shifts mm. in the coming years. It needs to shift. I oh, mean, because yeah. it, it is a it is it is a is a big issue. And um, I mean, Medicare, Medicaid are having issues as well from yep. a solvency standpoint. Oh, yeah. So there needs to be some some new solutions out there. So good uh, good topic. And we're going to switch over here to the question of the week. Yeah, the question of the week is: Should I be concerned about the potential tax changes that are being discussed by our government? Yes. Should you? Should we be? <laughs> yeah, I mean... Depends uh, on what's in the bill, Exactly. Right? It depends on what's in the bill. It depends on what, what category you find yourself in. Yeah. Uh, I think it's always an interesting time to see what is going to change. But um, I think from at least the early conversations, uh, in large part, if unless you're in the highest tax bracket, there's really not much changing for you. So no, at least no need to panic. There's slight changes. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. I agree. I, you know, we, we've been following this. This is something that uh, we see articles come out. We, we study it and, and nothing's final yet, but I will say there are changes. Uh, over the last two weeks, the things are dropping out of the bill. Mm-hmm. The Roth conversions, uh, the backdoor Roths looks like they're not going to make the tax bills, which is a good thing. Right. So certainly uh, stay tuned to us. We're going to cover it when it comes yep. out. And um, it's something from a planning standpoint, you really can't make any significant moves until you know what's in the legislation. And you know we're in November, um, so we'll see if it gets done this year or not. But it's not something to, to worry about. Certainly when it comes out, you can make adjustments at that point. Um, in your financials. Yeah, right, right, exactly. There's a lot of buzz early on about what may or may not be, but really all that matters is what's in what, there. What actually? That's right. In, that's in right. The well, that's, yeah, there was a lot of things in there. They've they've taken a lot out yep. at this point. So yep. we're going to switch gears here and uh, talk about uh, don't 
get too hung up on a retirement savings number. And that's we right. see that. A lot of people are like, I got to have a million. I got to have a million. Well, no, that's not exactly the way it works. Exactly. But, uh, that can be a good number for some people, but, you know, it's a, it's a good discussion. Yeah. Yeah. And this article uh, comes from Kiplinger's, and I think it's going to provide for a good discussion today. And um, it's written by uh, Catherine Reynolds-Lewis. And so we'll dive in and and talk about what, what some of the things she she mentioned. And and she really asked the question about that that exact number. And because oftentimes, soon-to-be retirees do want to know, what is that number? Yep. How can I get to that number so I can retire comfortably? And coming up with an exact number, it's helpful as a goal to achieve something to strive for. But what happens when you actually reach that number? You know, we, we set other measurable goals mm-hmm. in our lives. So what's the problem with saying you're going to shoot for $3 million by age 65 or something like that? Um, and there's been some research by a uh, professor at Cornell, Vicki Bogan, that says that it actually sets us up for complacency mm. because the calculation of that number is predicated on a lot of assumptions. So let's talk about those assumptions. Yeah. So just a general assumption, experts recommend having enough to generate uh, between 70 and 80 percent um, of your pre-retirement income annually, including Social Security and, and pension, if you're fortunate enough to have that. So between 70 and 80 percent. And the reason that number is like that is you're not saving anymore. Right. And you're also not paying Social Security and Medicare tax. And then right. there's some, you know, less travel costs back and forth to work. So 70 to 80 percent is a good number. You'll need a larger number if inflation increases um, or if the stock market falters or maybe healthcare costs rise uh, more than expected. And you know, also your savings goal can actually be scaled back if you move to a less expensive area or if inflation stays low. So there's obviously a lot of assumptions, a lot of variables at play. You got to do some planning to get these numbers. But right now, the, the stock market is, is doing well, and it may be uh, convincing you to retire early because you've already hit, quote, the number. Um, but the number doesn't tell the whole story. And, and the statistics show that it doesn't actually contribute to feeling secure in retirement. And we see that a lot. Oh, yeah. Have someone that will have a significant amount of money and they're still nervous. Nervous, they're very not, nervous. Yeah. They're not comfortable. And they, they, we try to give them some peace of mind by doing this planning. Only 36% of retirees, current retirees, say they have saved the right amount, uh, compared with 45% who believe they saved too little and 18% who've saved more than necessary. And that's according to a recent survey by the Employee Benefit Research Institute. Yeah, and although having a retirement savings number is important as a goal, it it needs to be a moving target and fixating on one number really runs the risk that you won't adjust your savings goals to new circumstances such as additional financial responsibilities or even, you were saying, 20% increase in your healthcare costs Mm -hmm. a year, so higher healthcare costs, things like inflation that we're seeing now or other vagaries of the economy Um, because life is just not stationary and your retirement plan, including any target savings number, shouldn't be either. So you just need to adjust, which is why it's important to think a little bit bigger than a number. And so instead of focusing just on the size of the nest egg, create a more comprehensive retirement plan that you'll refine and change over time. Uh, It should include your financial goals, a net worth statement, a working budget, debt management strategy, emergency funds, or any other insurance um, options you may have. Uh, And having your own financial plan, which is a picture of your unique situation and spending needs will help paint a retirement picture that is more reliable than than just a simple number. So factoring your living expenses, medical needs based on your health, your tax situation, and any large purchases you're planning for, maybe a new roof on your house or a new car that you're looking um, to buy down the road, because your plan should reflect all of that. Yeah. How about vacations? 
vacations yeah. as well. Well, you, Absolutely. Know, you know, if Steve were here, that's what he would be talking <laughs> about. So, but you know, when we do planning, um, you know, the number that, that savings number is less important than what the income will be generated. Sure. And that income generated, um, needs to be based on, you know, expected retirement lifestyle, your investing horizon, your risk tolerance, savings goals, uh, estate planning, a lot of different factors uh, that you'll want to consider um, when looking at your retirement savings and also making sure they hold up under different scenarios. Um, you know, when we do planning, we look at, um, you know, negative years. We have that built right. into the retirement plan. What happens is not if a negative year happens, but when it happens, when, right. how are you going to react to it to make sure all your bases are covered? And this is known as a, a stress test um, with the plan. And, and we do this, like we said, with the clients when we do retirement plans. Uh, we take into consideration adjustments for inflation, uh, retirement age, rates of return. Uh, we help people try and project what the, the future might look like. And the more detailed, the more accurate the, the plan's going to be. A lot of variables out there, but at the end of the day, it comes down to uh, how much income can you produce from all of your resources. Right. And if you can live on that resources, you know, then you're in pretty good shape. Yeah, and a plan isn't something you create once and then you know, just let it guide you for the next 20 years. It's it's important to revisit that plan sure. often, at least once a year when you're accumulating assets. Maybe some life changes take place. Maybe you switch jobs. Maybe something happened to your family and you need to switch how you're, you're spending your money. Um, or maybe you're moving. Maybe you're planning on being closer to family. So as, as your retirement nears, the plan that you have should, you should factor in uh, requirement minimum distributions when you reach, say, age 72 so that you match your income to your expenses and minimize your tax burden. You're also going to want to mix, um, have an appropriate mix of taxable and non-taxable investments, such as a traditional IRA, Roth IRA, combined with a, a taxable brokerage account. This because this gives you the kind of control and flexibility in retirement to minimize the tax liability. Yeah, and one of the things and kind of buried in there is um, doing Roth conversions. We spend a lot of yep. time on you know if someone's not spending the IRA money. If you can do Roth conversions in a 12% tax bracket, um, that's just part of the tax planning process. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, focusing on a number uh, often gets thrown out there is that the 4% rule, mm -hmm. which is the, the average percent to withdraw each year from an investment portfolio without dipping into the principal. And, and you know, again, like the number, that's a fine rule, um, but it's just a generic rule because life has too many variables and your plan needs to be catered to you and your ongoing circumstances. So the 4% rule that you may hear doesn't apply for everyone. And again, you just need to look at your specific situation and how you project your spending to change throughout retirement. So a good question to ask is, John, what you, you talked about a little bit ago is what kind of life am I aiming for? Mm -hmm. Do you want maybe a more subtle life? Maybe you're, you want to live near your children or grandchildren or... Do you foresee a season where you're traveling more, going on more vacations, spending more? Again, uh, your retirement plan needs to be catered to you. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing you got to factor in is in retirement is healthcare cost. Uh, working households spend about six percent of their annual budget on health expenses versus fourteen percent for retirees. And a sixty-five-year-old couple can spend on average about three hundred thousand dollars on medical expenses in retirement. Wow, yeah. That's up 88% since 2002. So um, that comes from a, a Fidelity investment report. So you, you need to plan and prepare for flexibility because, you know, all the way, although your life looks one way now, it's not guaranteed to look that way throughout retirement. And we see that time and time again. I mean, pandemic was, uh, is a perfect example of that. It changed uh, people's lives, Everything. obviously, yeah. uh, very negatively. It changed industries, businesses. I mean, every facet of our life was impacted, and you just have to have some flexibility. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, it, it's fine to also overestimate the amount of savings you want if that if that helps you sleep at night. Ultimately, a retirement plan is getting you to focus less on worrying about your finances and more about enjoying your life and the things that you enjoy. So you don't need to, I think overestimating is fine, but also on the flip side, you don't need to aim quite as high if you if you don't have children or, or any anyone else that might inherit your estate. And so again, overall, look at your picture, but look at the whole picture. Consider how things may change in the future and revisit your financial plan or talk uh, with your advisor to increase the likelihood of enjoying the kind of retirement that you, you are planning for. Yeah, I had a, a meeting uh, yesterday with some long long term clients, and um, we went we updated the plan. They've been retired a couple of years now, and they came to me with a wish list of things that they wanted to do over the next ten years. So, and it was a fantastic list, very detailed. Um, you know, purchase of cars. They wanted to help kids um, with weddings grandkids with college. They wanted to do some traveling. They wanted right. to do some things to the house. And so they kind of had a wish list. And so they presented that to me and we updated the plan and they were just looking for some guidance. Um, could they pull this off? And they had saved very well. And um, so basically the retirement plan that we did uh, produced a number that they could pull out of their portfolio and the we target age 95. Mm-hmm. And so basically their wish list will be able, you know, they, they'll be able to pull money out of their um, their investments to, to provide that. And it's yeah. it's based on, you know, looking out to age 95 and different scenarios, but it gave them the freedom to take that next step and go spend some without right. stressing. Yeah. That's really important because we see a yeah. lot of people stressing about the number. Exactly. And will it last, you know, how long will it last? So doing that retirement plan is, uh, is critical and that's a great, uh, great conversation on it. Yeah, yeah. And I think even... Um like you're saying, you you have these desires and these desires change, and you know you you project it out, and we do as best as we can. But yeah, markets change. Pandemic happens. Yes. If you, yeah. You know, if you retired last year uh, before the pandemic, that may have affected your situation even more. So, um, yeah, I, revisit it. Revisit yes. it frequently. Absolutely. And think about the things that you want to do. Yeah, and I will say that we do have on our um, uh, website, moneymd.net, we have a uh, uh, retirement tool. Yeah. So you can go out there and fill that out. If you need some additional help, certainly reach out yep. to us. Oh, yeah. We'll be more than happy to help you. But uh, good discussion, and we're going to close out here with the prescription of the week. Yeah, when it when it comes to um, discussing salary with, with friends, coworkers, and family, um, the, the advice is to be very careful as you talk about this because the information can really trigger uh, negative reactions from from all involved. And so it's important to have those discussions with your employer, um, but probably not your coworkers. And, and what, yeah. yeah, why do you think that is? Yeah, well, I mean, I think people compare, you know, um, their jobs and their efforts. And um, I mean, we're, we're, we're human, right? Sure. We're all, we all have different feelings and so forth. And um, I mean, I've been in, working in business now for 29 years. I used to work in corporations prior to this. And uh, I, I've just seen corporations where um, people had access to salary information and it, it just wasn't healthy. Right. Uh, you, you know, just not, it, it becomes a competition versus, um, you know, team building and so forth. So just be very careful. We're, we're very, we're big proponents on talking about money um, mm-hmm. with family, yep. um, you know, and, and uh, you know, wishes and values and, and things like that. But when you start talking about salary with, with friends, coworkers, uh, it just, it, it gets really sticky. So if you have an issue with your, 
with your income or with your salary, you need to go and sit down with your employer and have yeah. that discussion because there certainly could be some inequities in that area. But uh, the 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 um, water cooler talk um, generally is not healthy, so just yep. just be careful with that. Yes, yeah. that's a prescription. So that's uh, that's been this week's uh, edition of MoneyMD. Uh, tune in next week on MoneyMD.net to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check out our website MoneyMD.net and send us your questions. Or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of the week. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 